We take spreadsheets for granted, but they're actually an incredible innovation. Today we're going to talk about where they came from and why they're so useful. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. All right, Dave, this week we're talking spreadsheets. Now, I think we've all had to deal with them at some point when we're using them, um, whether it's for work or for tracking something, and we don't really think about how revolutionary the software was. So we're going to dive into the history this week. The spreadsheet was considered the first killer app in personal computing. Now, there had been programs kind of sort of similar to spreadsheets before the personal computing revolution. And if you're not familiar with the personal computing revolution, we did a previous episode on that, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But when the personal computing revolution was taking off in the late 1970s, the first widely used spreadsheet came out, and it was called VisiCalc. And would you say that VisiCalc really helped spur on the personal computer computer revolution? Yeah, that's why it was called the killer app. Now, what is a killer app? In the computing industry, when there's an app that is so great that people are so excited about it that they're going to go actually purchase the platform or purchase that type of computer just to get that app, then it's called a killer app. It's the app that makes people want to buy the computer. And so the spreadsheet, and in particular, the first really popular spreadsheet called VisiCalc, was the first killer app. And it came out for the Apple II, and it on its own helped spur a lot of Apple II sales. People saw, wow, there's so much I can do with VisiCalc. It's worth going and buying an Apple II just to get access to VisiCalc because it was so exciting what you could do with it. Well, what could you do with VisiCalc? So VisiCalc was similar in many ways to the spreadsheets we're used to today. You had a table-like format where you had cells where you could input data, and then you could do calculations in other cells based on numbers in other cells. So it was a calculating machine, a way of organizing data in a spatial configuration, and then having automatic calculations that happen based on the data. And it was possible for regular people to use unlike a programming language. So if we think we've talked on the show before about programming languages, but really you need some training, you need some practice, you need some some learning before you can really use a programming language. There's nothing you can do in a spreadsheet that you can't do in a programming language. So you could certainly go and take basic or Python and do any of the calculations that you're doing in a spreadsheet. But using a spreadsheet is much easier for a normal average user than having to go learn a whole programming language. But as we'll talk about, a spreadsheet is almost like a programming language in and of itself. So this spreadsheet really made um, something that wasn't accessible to the everyday user really accessible. And it came from the world of accounting. There had been tables that people would draw out on paper to do their accounting work before spreadsheets. And you can imagine how annoying that was, right? You'd have to go and you have to go write down all the numbers by hand. And then every time you did a calculation, so one of the numbers changed, you'd have to go redo it by hand. Maybe you have a desktop calculator to help you, right? But can you just imagine having to go type in all the numbers again and figure out all the equations every single time you change any of the data in some big list of data? 
that would be so annoying. But that's what accountants did. And really, that was just a lot of busy work. It wasn't like it was sophisticated math. We're mainly talking about arithmetic here or basic statistics, right? Um, but that, but all that busy work was suddenly eliminated when the first spreadsheet came out. Because now you could have your data, you could change just one little part of it, and then the other parts that were based on it would recalculate automatically. And so this was a huge amount of busy work that was saved. It was a time saver. Now one accountant could maybe do the work of two accountants, mm -hmm. right? It was a cost saver. It was a time saver. And it was also something that put this power into the hands of regular people because it was affordable. So you could go and buy an Apple II computer, which cost, you know, a, a little more than $1,000 back then. And we're talking again in the late 1970s. VisiCalc comes out in 1979. If you remember from our previous episode, the Apple II came out in 1977. So this is just a couple years after the first mainstream personal computers are coming out. And you could afford an Apple II. Most average people could, not everybody, but most people could. And then you could afford VisiCalc. And suddenly you had this amazing accounting machine that was right in front of you and that you could actually balance your books on your own, whether that was a small business that now didn't maybe need to have an external accountant because you could do things so efficiently using a spreadsheet that you had to rely on somebody else for before, or maybe it was... Um, that you were just a home user and you were balancing your checkbook each month and you wanted to have this, this powerful software to do it and to budget. But for small business users especially, this was a huge boon. This, this empowered them to have some of the capabilities that only larger businesses that could afford teams of accountants could do. So let's talk a little bit about the VisiCalc history. Who developed it? So the main developer was a fellow named Dan Bricklin. He was working in Massachusetts. Um, he, he was working with a partner. Both of them had actually met at MIT, so they were definitely smart guys. And they came up with this idea having really nothing, no basis for it before. Yet, like I mentioned earlier, there had been some mainframe programs that were sort of kind of in this vein. But a lot of the specifics, they had to work out themselves. For example, just the idea that a cell would be referred to by first a letter and then a number. So for any of you that have used a spreadsheet, you know you talk about like cell A1 or you talk about cell like C5 or something like that, right? Somebody actually had to come up with that. We take it so for granted today. But just that simple system of having every single cell have a column and a row that were easy to parse, put together, um, that somebody actually come up with that. And you know, there's a great book that I read that, that talks about this. It's called Founders at Work. It's by Jessica Livingston. And it has interviews with Dan Bricklin and then also somebody we'll talk about in a couple minutes, Mitch Kapoor, who created the first popular spreadsheets, VisiCalc and Lotus123 respectively. But what I think you'll find amazing if you go and you actually read these interviews is how much they actually had to come up with on their own. That there, because there was nothing really exactly like it before, this was original thinking. And most of us are familiar with spreadsheets, so we take all of it for granted today. Mm -hmm. But even something as simple as what are we going to refer to each of the cells as, somebody had to really think of. What were some of the other um, components of spreadsheet apps that we think about as, or don't even really think about, just take them for granted besides that 
that notation. Yeah, so the automatic calculation is huge. That saved tons of time. But the other thing that people really use spreadsheets for and that they empower is record keeping. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there were other kinds of database software, and most people wouldn't think about Excel, which is the most popular spreadsheet today, as really database software. They think about something more like Microsoft Access or a SQL-based database as database software. But for many uh, users using it for pretty simple applications, actually Excel acts as a simple kind of database software. Um, It enables people to do powerful record keeping in a really simple way without having to understand complex software. And so Excel sometimes gets stretched beyond and other spreadsheet programs beyond what they really should be used for, let's say. There's sometimes better applications and people kind of just throw Excel or other spreadsheets at a lot of problems that they weren't really ultimately designed for. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people who don't know how to use anything else and they have a spreadsheet available to them. And we're talking all the way back to 1979 when VisiCal came out. And so it's really enabled a lot of people to do some more sophisticated record keeping than they were capable of in a world where spreadsheets didn't exist. And so I'd say automatic calculation and how that's helped with statistical work and with uh, accounting work is one of the big components that spreadsheets have, have really enabled. And then the other thing I would say is really record keeping and people using spreadsheets as simple kind of databases. So VisiCalc is the first spreadsheet killer app. Who comes next? Yeah. So VisiCalc, again, was selling Apple IIs. It was really exciting. And another thing we've talked about on our previous episodes after the personal computer revolution, and I'll put this again in the show notes, we talked about the IBM PC. IBM PC comes out in 1981 and it totally changes the market. And there were a couple things that happened that led to new software displacing VisiCalc. And I always find it interesting when there's a dominant software program and another program comes in and disrupts it or displaces it. Um, two things happened. One, VisiCalc wasn't quick enough in coming out with a version for the IBM PC, and that really exploited all of the IBM PC's new features. Number two, there were things that people wanted to have added to VisiCalc for years, and I'll actually read you a quote from Mitch Kapoor, who was the creator of Lotus 123. And interestingly, he had previously worked at the company who created VisiCalc. So he now by the by a few years later, we already have people, oh yeah, spreadsheets are old hat. There's already been people working on them for years. He's already a veteran. He's already worked on earlier spreadsheet program, right? But he's working on really the big disruptor, Lotus 123. And um, there's a question here in this interview from Jessica Livingston. Livingston asks, when you demoed it, were there parts where you knew people were going to go, wow? And this is him talking about Lotus 123 and why it was more impressive than, than VisiCalc. And he says, yes, I think the one button graphing in particular and the speed of the calculation. VisiCalc users loved VisiCalc. They just wanted it to do more and it didn't. And when we showed that this did it right out of the box, they went, I get it. I used to get applause doing demos all the time. Now, that's hard to believe today, right? Now, this is from, he's talking about 1983 when Lotus 123 comes out. But can you imagine people today applauding for a spreadsheet program? Probably not. And think about those little things he mentioned in there. He said the integrated graphing. So with VisiCalc, you develop something in VisiCalc, a spreadsheet, and then you have another program that would go and create the, the charts, the graphs that go with it. Just because Lotus 123 had that feature built in, that was a big deal. The fact that it was faster, that it exploited all of the opportunities on the microprocessor and the IBM PC to be a little faster than VisiCalc, that was a big deal to people. We take all those things for granted today, but just imagine how revolutionary just the graphing feature was. Being able to create high-quality charts 
back before spreadsheet programs and spreadsheet programs with integrated graph software was really a lot of work. You know, what you would do is you'd have the original data and you'd actually go send it off to someone who worked in layout or typesetting or a graphics department and they would go and make charts and then somebody else would go put that into um, some kind of specialized machine or software to actually print them out and get them to a meeting. And now you could do this all in one software package. Just that alone was revolutionary. So just again, another thing that we just take for granted, but just having that little bit of extra and being a little bit faster was enough to make this new program the new leader. And so in the DOS world, which IBM PCs and PC compatibles inhabited in the 1980s, Lotus 123 completely displaced VisiCalc. And VisiCalc, the, the founders of it, were also having some legal disputes with their publisher. So back then, there was still a lot of small software houses where some there would be people who write the software and then a different company who went and actually published the software and distributed it. And the VisiCalc folks were having a dispute with their publisher and that was leading to delays and new versions of VisiCalc coming out. So it was kind of a combination of factors. Uh, and then they also had this employee who actually went and started his own company to kind of displace them. Um, but, and Lotus ended up being a very successful company, not just in with Lotus 123, which became the de facto standard spreadsheet, but also with other software as well. I feel like when we're talking about new software or computer revolution, revolutions and all these things that really disrupt um, the way things have been, it's really been about putting power to do tasks into new kinds of users, into everyday users. Um, and that's a lot of what this spreadsheet did. All of a sudden, you didn't need multiple people to do a task. Anyone could do it. Anyone could keep track of their own spending for a business or create the graph that they needed to um, in a quick and efficient way. The you didn't have to rely on a really powerful machine or having some really advanced technical skills. Absolutely. I think it's like we talked about before on our personal computer revolution episode. The personal computer was an empowering device. That was what was so revolutionary about it. It gave people capabilities that only large companies or governments mm -hmm. had before. And it enabled people to do things that they could have never done completely on their own. And so you suddenly have this amazing assistant, this assistant that never makes mistakes, this assistant that um, gives you tools that enable you to go to the next level in your business or in your personal hobby or whatever it is. And they're actually affordable and they're actually right there in your home. You don't even need to go anywhere to use them. So I, I think that the spreadsheet is emblematic of all of that mm -hmm. uh, in, in the type of enabling that it did for for small businesses and for regular people. So where do we go after Lotus? So each platform kind of had its dominant spreadsheet package. So we had the Apple II and we had VisiCalc. Then we had DOS and the IBM PC and we had Lotus 123. And that would keep being dominant for a long time. Surprisingly, the next one is actually going to come out of, people probably think Windows, but no, it's actually the Macintosh. Um, so Microsoft Excel, which today is by far the dominant spreadsheet program, actually started on the Macintosh. And so did Microsoft PowerPoint for that matter a lot. And maybe we'll talk about PowerPoint in a future episode. But Microsoft Excel first launched on the Macintosh in 1985. And at that time, Microsoft was the, actually the major producer of important apps for the Macintosh. And they had kind of a partnership with Apple around that. And they were working on Windows, and actually Windows 1.0 came out in 85 as well. 
but Microsoft Excel was originally only for the Macintosh, and it came out for Windows two years later in 1987. And so Excel quickly became the popular spreadsheet program for the Macintosh. But what was important about it was not just that it was for the Macintosh, because the Macintosh had relatively small market share. It was that it was a spreadsheet program built around a graphical user interface. Whereas, of course, DOS and the Apple II were command line interface systems. And so then when Windows became more popular, Microsoft already had a spreadsheet program that was fully developed and uh, popular on graphical interfaces. And so when we, it, when we went from each platform, so we went from the Apple II, we went to DOS, and now we're going, I'm going to say to Macintosh and Windows together, right? We'll call them GUIs. When we went to GUIs, we then saw another program displace the previous program, but it took a while because it took a while for Windows to become popular and for Windows to displace DOS as a major way of using computers. So, But by the 1990s, uh, Excel had d displaced Lotus 1-2-3 and became the dominant spreadsheet program as it remains today. And when you say a graphical user interface, do you mean like visual, a uh, certain kind of visual? Yeah, and people can check out our previous episode on the evolution of user interfaces, which I'll link to in the show notes as well. So Excel has now come onto the scene and pretty much stayed there. It's the standard bearer for these spreadsheet apps. And it's amazing what Excel gets used for. And I, I alluded to this earlier, but Excel gets used for things that it wasn't really ever designed for. Sometimes people take it too far and sometimes they make mistakes with it and they really should be using more specialized software or more uh, scalable software for some of the applications that they use it for. But you go to basically any business today and some part of the business is going to be running off of Excel workbooks, off of, off of Excel spreadsheets. Uh, one interesting specific case that's very recent where people were stretching Excel beyond its originally intended use was actually around the COVID crisis in the UK. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. There, people were using Excel to store data around um, COVID test cases. And they actually were losing some of the cases because they were using an old Excel file format. And that format only supported 65,000 rows. And they were accidentally just missing 1,400 cases because they were silently dropping when they were converting for whatever reason with their internal patched together set of software. They were converting to this old Excel format and they were just silently dropping cases and they didn't realize till months later. So you can see when we stretch a spreadsheet, so we use a spreadsheet as a database to the point where it goes beyond what it really should be used for. So like it's okay to use Excel for like small database type apps, right? Like for example, you and I right now are looking into childcare and different facilities where we live and we're making a little spreadsheet. And so that's a little database of different mm -hmm. childcare facilities. And, you know, maybe it has like 10 rows in it, right? That makes sense. Okay. That's, but if we were dealing with hundreds of thousands of childcare facilities across the country and we were trying to rate them because we were a government agency, okay, maybe we should be using some actual database software and not hacking Excel to work mm -hmm. as a database for that application. So I think that's where people get into trouble sometimes is they, they use Excel for record keeping beyond what it's really meant for. Excel makes sense for small batches of records, but when you get to a significant size or significant complexity, then you really should be using more sophisticated database software. And Excel is also very programmable. If you think about um, 
the just the original concept of the spreadsheet going all the way back to VisiCalc, when you're entering formulas into cells, you're actually doing a simple kind of programming. You're actually writing like little functions that are then executing every time your spreadsheet updates and every time you change the data. But you can actually go a lot further than that. You can also write what are called Excel macros. And they're usually written in a language called Visual Basic Script, or VBA, Visual Basic for Applications. And this is a simple scripting language that enables you to write programs that are kind of like meta programs, because you can think about your Excel spreadsheets as almost like programs in and of themselves. And then you're going and you're programming your Excel program, in, in a sense. And so these are actually very popular. And once you get to a certain sophistication level with Excel, it's pretty common that you'll want to do something using a macro. But you can also get into a lot of trouble because, again, you might start using this as a programming language beyond what it's really designed for. And there's also, believe it or not, there's even viruses for Excel macros. People go and write um, macros that do malicious things. And so Microsoft has had to be careful about patching security vulnerabilities and potential exploits in Excel over the years. Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, Excel is an amazing tool that gets used for so many business applications. I can't imagine any business in the U.S. of any significant size that doesn't have somebody doing a lot of the, the work for the business in Excel. But at the same time, people take it too far mm -hmm. and they stretch it beyond what it was really designed for when they should be using more customized or more scalable solutions and more sophisticated databases. So... Do you see spreadsheet apps changing or developing in a specific way? I mean, I guess one change is that's been happening is just the web-based spreadsheet apps. Right. You think about Google Sheets and just in general collaborative spreadsheets. Microsoft has a collaborative version as well. So does Apple. Um, I think that has definitely been the biggest change in all Office software the last 10 years or so. Uh, I don't think that there's anything on the horizon that's groundbreaking that's going to totally change the paradigm of spreadsheets, as, at least as far as we know. I've seen certain interesting concepts. There's been spreadsheet programs that think about tables as more granular and linking the tables together more instead of just thinking about it as like one giant table each sheet and things like that. And there's been programs like that going back to the 1990s and attempts to reinvent spreadsheets. But none of them has really taken off. We've been with Excel now for, believe it or not, 35 years since the first version of Excel came out. Came out and it just has continued to dominate our use of spreadsheets. And I think part of that is that actually the spreadsheet in and of itself um, has become a form of programming, as we've talked about, and people want that backwards compatibility and that familiarity. Mm -hmm. So there's people running on spreadsheets that have been updated and enhanced for decades now mm -hmm. within Excel. And so you go and you have a totally new kind of spreadsheet, and it's not going to be able to run that old spreadsheet program, if you will. And so I think backwards compatibility and continuity and stability is actually really important in this space because so many businesses rely on these spreadsheets as critical infrastructure. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Copec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. And I don't want people to forget to leave us a rating. It really does help other people find out about the show. So whether you're an overcast and you give us a little star or you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or even if you just follow us on Spotify, it helps other people find out about the show. And so it really helps build our audience and we really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening.